Hello and welcome to this week's uh, Money and Politics podcast. It's being recorded on Wednesday, July the 7th at about 5.30 in the evening. Um, this is actually the second one technically this week because last week's was only issued on Monday. Um, this, this main kind of, this is back to the usual political stuff more so than anything else. And this is based on the column that first appeared on Broadsheet last Monday on July the 5th. Now in that column I looked at the argument that had leaked out from the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party on Fianna Fáil's real and demonstrable problems with young voters. Um, now I don't deal with it in the article but I think there is actually a column in, in why and how there are so many leaks from what is supposedly a confidential meeting of elected colleagues especially when most of the material leaked is often detrimental to those not on the other side on the leader side um, later in this uh, in this podcast I'll take a more detailed look at the Dublin Bay South by-election and I'll end up probably going into a little bit more depth than I do in the column itself so here goes According to the many detailed leaks from last week's Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party meeting, an issue itself worthy of an article, the suggestion that young people perceive the party as toxic and inimical to their needs angered and upset several TDs and junior ministers. However, it didn't anger them in a good way. Rather than being angered by how young people feel this way, and sadly they do, as almost every poll published over the last 12 months has shown, ministers appear to be outraged that their colleagues would dare point this out. Even as the most recent Irish Times Ipsos Mori poll, which optimistically showed Fianna Fáil's support rising nationally by 6 points to 20%, it still found that the party is only in 8% amongst Dublin voters aged under 35. And this puts the party in a very weakened fifth place in Dublin, well behind Sinn Féin, Fine Gael, the Greens, and Independents. Opinion polls published over the last 18 months have consistently shown that Martin's party has a major problem with voters under 25, indeed with voters under 35. So why do Antishuk supporters interpret saying this as a private meeting of the party's elected representatives as wrong? Now perhaps it was due to a rawness of many in government over what had, over, over what had transpired in the days before that. After all, it hadn't been a good week for the government. And while most people will understand the government's desire to halt the spread of the Delta variant, even those closest to the places where decisions are made would concede that the lack of preparedness and the absence of any contingency planning was an unholy mess. This was not joined up government in any sense of the word. Now, to its credit, the government has managed to claw back some semblance of authority since then by announcing that young people aged 18 to 34 could register at pharmacies for the Janssen single-dose vaccine, though there appears to be now quite a long waiting list for that. And had by and by also following the Danish example and purchasing one million excess Pfizer vaccines from Romania. But even so, the net overall impression was still that of a government caught unaware by the bluntness of last Tuesday's NEFID assessment, and an assessment that did not consider how acutely its decisions would affect young people. If this slowness to reopen opportunities for socialising was the only area where young people felt aggrieved with the government's actions or its inaction, maybe, then the government parties, especially Fianna Fáil, could have, some, could have some cause to feel that they could recover that lost ground. But it's not. As Fianna Fáil's youngest TD, James O'Connor from Cork East, told the Sunday Business Post afterwards, in terms of what it stands for to younger voters in Irish society, Fianna Fáil is not in any shape or form at a standard of where it needs to be. We've never seen such high costs of living. The cost of rental and the price of new homes are absolutely extraordinary, he continued. He 
then went on to say access to third level education for young voters is becoming increasingly difficult because of the cost of living and I am concerned about the pace of delivery on housing and the political consequences political consequences of that pace of delivery end quote Look, from where I'm standing Deputy O'Connor's comments are neither extreme nor excessive. They precisely echo the opinions of many young people I know, though the young people I know were going much further than Deputy O'Connor. The people I'm talking to are talk of a sense of feeling vilified and blamed for the months of continued lockdown. Having waited patiently to take their turn to be vaccinated and to try to return to some form of normal social life. They then heard the Taoiseach tell them that they will not get to use or enjoy any indoor facilities for several more months because the government has not been ready to vaccinate them. But, the Taoiseach conceded, they can still work indoors and serve others while they're unvaccinated. Now, I'm no fan of Michal Martin, as anyone who's read this blog or listened to this podcast will know. But don't even, not even I think he intended to say that. But the problem with communications is that what one side means to say and what the other side actually hears and understands are often two different things. It appears that neither the Taoiseach himself nor any of his large coterie of supporters and advisers gave sufficient thought to how young people who already feel alienated by many of the government's policies, particularly on housing, particularly on rent, particularly on third level education, third level education might perceive what he was saying. So at the very moment when Fianna Fáil needs to tell itself some exceedingly difficult and unpalatable truths, there is clearly no appetite to hear them. Not only must the message go unheard and be suppressed, but the messenger must also be talked down. So those ministers, senators and deputies who balked at Deputy James O'Connor's comments may have sincerely thought, or may indeed have been told, that they were doing their leader a favour in silencing any criminal dissent. But they weren't. The leaking of these invocations of loyalty to both leader and party, coupled with the criticism of Debbie O'Connor, merely confirmed the impression that Martin's Fianna Fáil is no place for young people. But it wasn't always like this. There was a time when Fianna Fáil recognised that attracting young voters and devising policies to attract young, first-time voters was the key to an electoral success. Get young people into the practice of voting Fianna Fáil early, it mercenarily reasoned, and they will stick with us as they go through life. Now, you could broadly describe that period at that time as a number of years from the foundation of Fianna Fáil right up to 2009. Now, it's arguable that the actual Fianna Fáil's targeting and going after young people reached its zenith in the late 70s and again in the late 1990s. It also hit its nadir in the late 1940s, 50s and the early 70s. Now, those nadirs, those low points, in other words, were the, were the time when the party ignored young voters, were the time when the party was weary and its leadership jaded from being around too long. Past generation of Fianna Fáil leaders understood the curious, almost symbiotic relationship between the interests of people aged under 25 and those aged over 65, one that echoes the bond or the connection between a grandparent and a grandchild. Each has an interest in the welfare of the other, as both see themselves as being on the opposite end of life scale, with mutual altruistic interests. Young people want to see their grandparents enjoy a long and content retirement, just as much as those very same grandparents want to see their grandchildren get a better start in life than they had. Playing one off against the other never works. Turning to the by-election, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out, and, and if young voters are motivated to turn out by, by their treatment over the last few weeks and months. Now, I don't think anyone's expecting a high turnout. The constituency indeed had the second lowest turnout in February 2020. So even a moderate youth, youth turnout here could actually see a big vote swing. 
if the increased, almost frantic activity of the Fine Gael campaign over the last few days is anything to go by, then the current Fine Gael leadership is deeply worried and sees defeat as a distinct possibility, if not a probability. And they're absolutely right to be worried. Well, I wouldn't bet on whether it'll be Labour's Ivana Bacic or Sinn Féin's Lynn Boylan who steals the win from Fine Gael. I would be shocked if one of them does not win. It appears from the outside, or certainly from where I'm standing, that Ivana Bacic is getting the support of many former Kate O'Connell's voters. And therefore, these these voters who may even vote Fine Gael at the next election, and certainly voted Fine Gael and Kate O'Connell at the last election, are completely bypassing James Gagan this time around. Meanwhile, Lynn Boylan could still benefit from Sinn Féin's rising national support, even if the recent Irish Times Dublin Bay South Pole says otherwise. Indeed, that poll could actually play an interesting part in the entire general by-election dynamic, as the Irish Times is, a much a lo- as much as, is as much a local paper to the people of Sandymount and Randle as the Drogheda Independent is to the good citizens of Yellowballer. Now, not only did the Irish Times poll show Fine Gael struggling to hold the seat, it also dulled, if not entirely blunted, an important weapon in the Blue Shirt's political armoury, the Sinn Féin threat. Fine Gael needed Boylan to be in second place in that poll to help them push the myth that this was a binary choice between Sinn Féin and Fine Gael. Therefore, a reputable poll, as the, as the Ipsos Imauri uh, poll from the Irish Times is, showing Ivana Bacha clearly in second place and in a very strong second place, scuppered this Fine Gael core strategy. Hence you have the Fine Gael's handwritten letter to voters pleading for support, saying our three-party government only has a small majority and every TD's vote counts in the Dáil. Yet Leo Vratka was far more phlegmatic when the last Fine Gael TD elected by the voters in February 2010 he just upped and walked away from politics on a whim. By-elections are unreliable predictors of the wider political mood. Bertie Hearn never lost a general election as Fianna Fáil leader, but neither did he ever win a by-election. So, while they're not predictors of the next election or the next outcome, and I think the Tom Hayes vote for Fine Gael when Fine Gael got hammered in the following elections is another example of it, they can help end leadership careers. Now, it's a long way back, but if you think back to November 1979, within five weeks of losing the two by-elections in Cork City and Cork North East, both in his own backyard, Jack Lynch was gone as both Taoiseach and his party leader. Dublin Bay South is absolutely in Leo Varadkar's backyard, if not geographically, certainly demographically and politically. And a change of leadership in Fine Gael, or even the increased talk of a change of leadership, will have many in Fianna Fáil wondering, is it not time for them to do the same? Indeed, is it not, is it not past time for the party of La Masse to reconnect to young people and find a leader who can speak to the gener- next generation, rather than one who epitomises some of the characters of their generation before last? Let me turn very, very quickly, which is going off the, the, the broadsheet article and looking at Dublin Bay South. In the article, I, 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 was, I was cautious about nailing down my colours and whether I thought Ivana Bacic or Lynn Boylan could win. Right now, I think probably Ivana Bacic would win. I think certainly from the people I know, from the people I'm talking to and the people who don't understand the constituency well, that's definitely the feeling they're getting. I still believe the polls and I still believe that they are underestimating Lynn Boylan. I think she's doing better than the Irish Times poll showed and I think the Sinn Féin vote in Dublin Bay South will be up. 
I think the Irish Times poll showed, I think, showed only Sinn Féin at 4% in rap minds. Now, by the way, in fairness to the Irish Times poll, they absolutely make clear that it has a plus or minus of 4.5%. And that when you start getting down to regional breakdowns, well, then they have massive variations. But, Fianna, but Sinn Féin only getting 4% in rap minds at a time when even at the last local elections it was able to get 9% and that was a bad local elections for Sinn Féin would suggest to me that Sinn Féin is probably well it's only a couple of points ahead of where it did at the last general election they got 16% then so I think the possibility of getting 17, 18, 19, 20% this time around is quite strong but why I think Ivana Bacic is going to shade it and put the ball ahead for several reasons number one I think Ivana Bacic will be a far more attractive number two for a whole range of voters, including Greens and indeed Fianna Fáilers. I think she will do well out of the Social Democrats' elimination and other lower eliminations. So, on the class, on the second last count, I think you're going to have James Cagan ahead with Ivana Bacic and Lynn Boylan not far behind. At that point, I would think if Ivana Bacic wasn't in first place, wasn't in already in second place on the first count, she will certainly be in second place at that count, at the penultimate count. And it'll be Lynn, Boyle, Lynn Boylan's elimination that elects um, Ivana Bacic with a fairly decent uh, majority. Now, do I expect to see that result repeated in the next general election? Definitely not. But I think Fine Gael are going to have a very, very shaky few weeks on foot of this by-election. And I think if Fine Gael are having a couple of shaky few weeks, then I think other parties in government will need to have a serious look at themselves. Because if Fine Gael changes leader, and I think it's quite possible that they will, then I think the character and the nature of this government has changed. And I think it's up to the Greens and to Fianna Fáil to respond to that. Because the programme for government that there was negotiated over 18 months, or just over 12 months ago, 13 months ago, I think it would need a serious reappraisal in the light of new developments and where we are today. All right, that was a slightly longer podcast than I'd intended. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, unfortunately, again, as I said on Monday, unfortunately, the, the weather isn't so great that we can enjoy the outdoors or the outdoor dining and outdoor drinking as we could have. It's unfortunate, but saying that, that this is this is the hand we've been dealt. Um, hopefully, I'll be back next week and I'll have my next podcast out on Wednesday, which I think is the 14th. Uh, in the meantime, enjoy yourself and keep safe. Bye-bye.